All right, this is the Agile Socrats. This is our 10th podcast, which is kind of a big deal for us because we've now done 10 of these, even though the last three we did at the Scrum Gathering and we haven't really talked since then. But now Richard has finished eating and we're all ready to get started. So my name is Dave Pryor and I work for Leading Agile. I am a Scrum trainer and I do some writing and blogging for projects at work and other places on the side. Uh, Marie, do you want to introduce yourself and then kick it yeah. to one of the other guys? Sure. Uh, my name is Maria Mattarelli with Formula Inc. based out of Chicago. And I'm also a certified Scrum trainer and travel the world spreading good Scrum knowledge. Davil, do you want to go next? Hi, this is Davil Mattel. I am uh, I'm a good friend of all the people that you find on this podcast. And I work with Agile 42. I am a Scrum trainer and a Scrum coach. All right. Hey, this is uh, Richard Chang from Excel Consulting out of Washington, D.C., and like these other folks, I'm a trainer and a coach and a dilettante. <laughs> but last week you saw some stuff that got you all up in a tither. Yeah. So this past week I was at a, a regional PMI symposium. And uh, as I was sitting there, I was texting uh, Dave and Maria and Double. And I kind of realized a few things. Is um, Some of what I saw is that... Uh, you know, a lot of us that are deeply embedded in this Agile world, I think that we have a view of Agile where it's kind of really far advanced and like a lot of the world's getting it. But what I saw at the PMI Symposium, I think, is that a lot of people, uh, there's still a large segment of the, of the population that's kind of in that still learning, growing, adapting, accepting a stage. And I think sometimes you forget that. And I think there's also a segment of the population that uh, in concept believe they know Agile, but some of the evidence I saw shows that what they see is kind of a... <laughs> misunderstanding or misconstrual. So of Agile. I think we can use that as kind of a leaping off point for tonight's conversation. So when you say people um, that, that they're not as far along, are they, are they just not understanding anything about Agile or it's just that they're like you described, they're sort of misconceptions? Well, so uh, during one of the sessions, there was one lady that stated, so I think uh, for uh, really critical projects, we still need to do a waterfall type to make sure all the requirements are correct. Once we have all the requirements correct, then we can use Agile concepts to execute on the requirements. So I, I heard that, and that made me cringe a bit. Um, I had another guy who was a presenter presented a slide that talked about iterating through the requirements phase, iterating through the design phase, iterating through the development phase, and iterating through the test phase. And um, I thought that was uh, amusing. Do you guys think that this is like when you when you're working with people? Do you think that this is just the PMs, or is it like other other areas of technology as well? I mean, from what pictures uh, Richard was sharing, right? Because <laughs> he was sending us text messages, <laughs> and by looking at the content on the slides uh, for the few slides that he was presenting, I genuinely felt that they are coming in from. Uh, a zero-sum game mindset, uh, everyone at, uh, from the PMI world, because they uh, some of the presentation slides were so very confrontational. I'm looking at one of the pictures that he sent, and it, it talks about negotiation as an act of understanding the other party's needs and concerns to use it as a bargaining chip. I mean, I was with them until, like, understand the other person's needs and concerns, but then to use it for your own advantage is not like a win-win situation. It takes a worldview that everything will add up to zero, so I must make my 
I, that, I need I need a soccer in the game. In other words, do, right? Do you and think that that's because be of because you're of where you were sort of rate? I mean, not not being native to the U.S. Like when when I've taught negotiation in other countries, especially with the Dutch, it's always like everyone has to walk away happy. But I'd say from an American standpoint, the I got to get mine. That's my priority. That's how we negotiate, which is not right. necessarily good, but right, right. Um, I mean, I don't think it's a cultural thing because from where I come from in India, we actually enjoy the negotiation process and we enjoy getting into fights and bargaining about stuff, right? Because that's the whole point is to get into a good altercation, blow out your lungs, right? <laughs> Health benefits to that. But uh, I think where where I'm coming from is if this is a project management uh, event and if these are project managers, wouldn't you want people who are actually in the middle of the folks who are asking for work and the folks who are actually going to do the work, the folks in the middle coming in from the mindset of a win-win as opposed to trying to use each other's information for their advantage, maybe. Maria, what do you think? I mean, I have... Because oh, I, I mean, to, to me, it kind of speaks like, isn't it against everything that customer collaboration or contract negotiation? I mean, it just stands starkly against that statement. Yeah, Dave, I think that it's a mindset shift. It's such a big mindset shift from how we're used to working for either a project manager role or other roles on a project team. It is so interesting how many people haven't been exposed to Agile yet. Like what Richard was saying as he stepped into this traditional project management environment, I think that if you don't have the right resources, the, the right access to the right information, I can totally see how some people may be dipping a toe in and then trying to spread their assumptions based on what they've put together I could totally see that being the wrong information, just like some of the slides he was sharing with us. So I think one of the biggest challenges is the mindset shift of really having to think differently. It's not about trying to, to run this project in an agile way and iterate through each phase. It's, it's a whole shift in how you work. Yeah, yeah. I think with this, um, what we have here in the PMI community, the project managers, and kind of management, uh, especially at the middle management layers, is that a lot of them are kind of struggling with, you know, where they belong in this new world. I think there's a certain amount of fear and of self-preservation trying to make themselves, you know, and when we do Scrum, we say things like there are no project managers in Scrum. Well, this is a PMI community where they're all project managers, and so the question is, well, what happens to us now? And I think a lot of them is them trying to map what they know to be the realities of their day-to-day -day jobs today into what it would look like in an agile paradigm and a value-driven output uh, outcome-based uh, uh, model, um, how does that look? And I think for them, a lot of them are kind of trying to feel their way through that, and it's uh, probably a scary proposition for many of the folks. I think it's 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 that plus a little bit more. I was talking to a guy today at, at I'm doing workshops for PMI about on agile P and hybrid PMOs right now, and this guy came up and he was asking that question like, "What do we do with the project managers?" And then he went into the fact that it's not just what do we do with the project managers, but there's this sort of deeply rooted belief that 
you can't trust anybody else. Like you can't trust the teams because they're the teams. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They need someone to tell them what to do. And it's like, I mean, I want to come back to the negotiation point thing in a little bit, but I think that there's this fear of trust, which is, which is rooted. I mean, that's all of traditional project management. If I don't tell you what to do, you'll do something stupid. Yeah. I think that's a problem too. I mean, a lot of what I hear from kind of that side of the community is how do I know if my team is, how do I know if people are really busy? I don't know if people are fully allocated, fully resourced. I don't know if they're really being truthful in their reporting. How to, you know, a lot of the kind of uh, is in place to make sure people are being honest. Um, and that mentality is, uh, you know, it leads to kind of overhead and process in place to kind of um, create transparency around that. When from an agile standpoint, you know, one of the tenants is to assume that your people are motivated and trustworthy and then kind of all work together to deliver value. And I think that kind of bridge, it's hard for some of the community to uh, to accept. Yeah, I would agree. I, Maria, do you, do you find that a lot in the work that you're doing with people right now? Yeah, actually, that's one of the biggest challenges that I hear whenever, even in classes, we talk about the Agile Manifesto principles, you know, give people the environment and support they need and build projects around motivated individuals and trust them to get the job done. Almost everyone says, oh, yeah, that would be nice. And there's so much skepticism around, can you really trust people to self-organize? Can you really just kind of leave things up in the air? And I think that that's such an insightful comment, Dave, on trust being at the root of it, because it really kind of does go back to that. Do you, can you give the team a little bit more room to be creative, to, uh, use an agile approach or is it those tendencies that keep coming back to try to direct every little move so do you guys right. think that if we if we taught the project managers better i mean just to kind of turn it around like like Dal, do you think if we gave them better information that we could trust the project managers to to believe in self-organization and to let the agile stuff happen the way um, it's designed to work uh, and, uh, not everyone can be trained that way like some people got the project manager job because they were the way they are, which means they don't trust anyone because they can drive people nuts and because they can get stuff done and they will kill people and stuff along the way, but they will get the job done. So very task oriented, right? Now, uh, the same person may not find a place in an agile uh, context because the team is far more reliable than an individual. So, yeah, I don't think it is possible every single instance. Well, people can try. What do you guys think about the fact that there's thought leaders at conferences giving presentations, kind of spreading information that, I mean, I guess in one sense it's good because it's going to mean there's work for all of us to do because we can go help those people, but that's a lot of people to deprogram. I don't know how many people were at that workshop, Richard, but. Yeah, I mean, I think here's the, <laughs> here's the thing. I think what, what, what I think their mentality is people presenting is they're thinking, well, hey, look, we're project managers. We understand this project manager world. You guys are agilists. You have your world. And what we're going to do is we're going to create this mapping. So we're going to take some of your concepts, but show how it's really relevant to the project management community. right? And I think that's the approach they're trying to take to it. But what they don't understand is that from an agile standpoint, what they're saying is fundamentally wrong from an agile standpoint. Um, 
And, uh, and you're right, that is a problem. And I think part of, I know, I think these people want to do good. I think part of it is someone just needs to kind of uh, expose to them kind of, you know, what their perspective is and how, you know, if they take a look at their perspective, how what their perspective is doing is reinforcing practices we know to be uh, not effective, right? And they show them that the practices that we're talking about, here's why that these agile-based practices, the feedback loops and the... Uh, empowered teams and delivering a software iteratively or delivering a value iteratively um, is, is, a, is a, 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 an approach that addresses some of the issues we've had in the past. Um, but you're like, you're think, like right now you're like one of those people that comes up to me and wants to take me to lunch to join their church. Like the PMs know what they know because they went off and studied for the PMP exam. And I mean, I, I spent four years like that probably. And, you know, knowing like, oh, yeah, Agile, whatever, I got it. I read the book. Um, but getting that inside your value system is very different. Yeah, I think that's why you can talk about this at a philosophical level, which I think is um, uh, it's challenging because a lot of times it's person with this, this, the smarter, uh, the, the better debater, the better data point wins. I think out in the field is where a lot of it comes into play is to identify, you know, what are the processes that this organization, this project, this group has been doing, or the outcomes been to date, right? Or um, the outcomes we want. And then let's look at these different processes and methods to how we get there. Um, I think a lot of it is just going to be the work we do out in the field, what the results are. Because if someone's rooted in their opinions, and they're they're not you know, all they're they're not uh, interested in putting together healthy debate. Um, that's a problem. Now on the other side, they could be saying the same thing about our perspectives. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think a lot of it is going to be about um, the results. You know, going out there in the field, putting us out there, and then see what happens when we kind of take these concepts and processes and try them out on real projects in real environments. What got you guys to let go of stuff like that? The old, I mean, Davo, were you ever like more on the control side, more on the traditional side? Uh, not really. Okay. No, I, I was always from the development side, and then I walked into the scrum master role. Um, yeah, I mean, I had worked for a lot of controlling project managers, and that was not fun. So it probably comes out in my tone in this. No, not at all. Podcast. <laughs> Well, Maria, did you have to let go of that, or did you did you not have that either? Yeah, actually, I did because my background was in project management, and when I started using Agile, one thing that's very interesting, I think, is how much the culture of the organization comes into play. Because the first organization where we started using an Agile approach, the culture was not to put things anything up on the wall. I think I saw one task board on a wall in several years, and then. When I moved on to another company and was using Agile where the culture was different, where everything was information radiators, things posted on the wall everywhere, team rooms, burn down charts, everything posted visibly, I, something finally clicked in my mind where I was like, oh, I think I've been doing it wrong. I think that I've been maybe too directive when I was a scrum master because you know I would get my team in a room and we'd all be huddled around the projector as I'm displaying a project management software tool up on the screen and we're planning out our work. And then I discovered, wow, no, you really have to, like the, the collaborative approach, hands-on, uh, visual collaborative planning, like that's the way to do it. So for me, 
I, I feel like I almost didn't know any better at first because I didn't see any other behavior. But then when I got to the environment where there was a culture where everything was collaborative, it really clicked and made a lot more sense. I'm like, oh, that's what they mean by collaboration and agile. So I think it's interesting how the culture plays into that. Yeah. Uh, Richard, what about you? That's, I kind of want to go last, but did you have to go through a like a learning to let go of the other stuff phase? Um, to an extent. You know, I think for me it was a little more empowering because um, – and there's a lot on my plate, and so I think for me, being able to let go of certain areas um, is great. I, um, I actually learned this when I transitioned away from being a developer to a manager, and that transition from a developer to a manager, That's so it was hard. tough because, yeah, because like I feel like if I didn't write it, I don't trust anyone else because I was a pretty good developer, um, and like I don't like I, I felt like like it would take like I'd be if I wasn't touching the code, I can't guarantee it's going to work, um, but over time, I was kind of able to let go. And trust other developers. Or else, you know, I don't have to look at every single line of code that's out there. I can kind of more be a manager and be able to kind of help, uh, um, you know, manage, guide, lead, whatever, instead of being hands-on code. And that, to me, I think, once I had that mindset in place, I think going forward, letting go of the command controls is a lot more natural. So letting go of the code base really helped me make that transition. Yeah. I think I think for me it was realize. I mean, I knew that what I was doing or what I was taught to do didn't work the way I would. I was taught it was supposed to work and I was so frustrated and burned out with trying to control things I couldn't control that. I mean, that was causing a lot of pressure and on the agile side, I didn't, I was scared of it, but I think realizing that the thing that was keeping me from trying, it was the fact that I was so scared of it that I wouldn't let myself trust it. Um, that was sort of a big turning point for me because I just decided screw it. I'm just going to see what happens. And it surprised me to see, you know, like Maria, like you said, to see what happens when you let the people collaborate. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. But I think letting go of the belief system you've burned into your brain, it's hard to, it's hard to do. Yeah. Habit changes. Yeah. Like Davo, even though they're frustrating, I, I just feel, it's, like I just look at them like, oh, you poor bastard. You've got so, <laughs> so much hassle to fight through to get past that. But I think they probably look at us the same way I did, which was, oh, you poor bastard, you and your little agile commune. Things aren't really right. like that, you know? Oh, yeah. So what? If, so on the negotiation thing, to the, the point, what was the – do you still have that picture up? Like what did it say about negotiation? Oh, I, I mean it was uh, – and it talked about, one, how you need to understand the other person. I'm with you. Uh, that you need to understand the point of view. I'm with you. And then where I was completely opposite is how you're going to use that information, use it as a bargaining chip to your advantage. I mean, that just doesn't sit well See, with me. And, and to me, that's that's straight out of the art of war. You learn about, if you know about your opponent and yourself, you can always be successful. And so I think if if I'm interacting with anybody, it's always about information gathering and how can I use that information to to gain whatever I feel like I need to gain. And I, I assume and hope and trust that the other person is also doing the same. So like, I don't, to me, I, I get that it, it come, probably came across negatively, but I don't, if you and I were in, involved in something and you read something in me that I didn't know you were reading and that enabled you to, to win your point, that's fair play. I mean, you had insight that I didn't, I didn't catch. Yeah, but I mean, Actually, I don't think it is fair play, Dave. Okay. 
I mean, not, not, okay. I mean, if it is something that we are betting a bottle of beer on, then yeah, totally, right? I mean, I'm gonna have some little fun with you, and it'll be all great. But you, well, yeah, but you also have to to not want to hurt the other person. Right, right, right. I mean, if it is uh, regarding both of us working together on the same project, then I have a completely different view on on that piece of work. And uh, this is even true if you are a contractor and I am someone on the other side. So contractual boundaries, we are on different sides of the equation. I would still want to make sure that we both understand each other. And to be, I mean, I probably we are ripping apart that one single slide too much, right? But Richard, throughout our exchanges, was talking about his, his emotional roller coaster and how he wanted to replace all PMOs and kill them. So I want to know more <laughs> about what was going on. Oh, um... Yeah, you know, he's a violent I think, man. Um, I think, yeah, there was a, I, I said in the talk where a guy was talking about PMO in the agile world, and he was talking about fighting for the existence of a PMO. And here's the thing uh, I've worked with a bunch of organizations, and um, I've seen a lot of situations where the PMO becomes the obstacle. I think having people view their job as the PMO itself, I think I've seen that, well, no, I, I've seen that lead to questionable results. Uh, what I've seen work really well is like when I was at the Motley Fool, we had a uh, Scrum Master community practice that in essence uh, served as a PMO. So we were functionally day-to-day Scrum Masters of our projects, but we would meet every other week to kind of go over uh, organizational process and norms and such. And that was probably one of the best examples I've seen of um, an effective PMO. Um, so so there's elements of that. Um, the other thing that uh, I had a debate with the speaker on, he was actually a pretty smart guy, um, but he was talking about the PMO managing portfolio. And I think that if you take a traditional PMO full of PMPs, uh, project managers, I don't think they should be managing a portfolio. The portfolio management should be done by the folks that understand the business value, that have the business domain uh, about the portfolio management that we're talking about building you know, products. And I think have the PMO organize the portfolio, I think is um, isn't the right use of uh, of their capabilities. But aren't they just supposed to provide the information to the senior management that makes decisions about the portfolios? Or are you seeing? Do you guys see them actually making those decisions for the business? Well, I think the business uh, should be. Oh, go ahead, Dobble. I mean, I wish people were making decisions. I mean, they are just accepting all the projects, and the projects keep on increasing but none of them ever getting shut down. So it, it's, all, it's almost as if like nobody is making a decision. When on, on one hand, I would expect the PMOs to drive the decision-making at the right place. Uh, they don't want to go tell their senior leadership that they have to prioritize the project. And the portfolio just keeps exploding and exploding with no results. I mean, that's my perception of how things come to be the way they are. Maria, what do you think? Oh, One of the Richard. last PMOs that I saw was a PMO that put the letter A in front of its name, called themselves an Agile PMO, and then they did <laughs> all kinds of stuff that like nobody even saw. Like, nobody had any idea what they did because they didn't collaborate or communicate with anybody. And whenever we would outstretch a hand to say, hey, uh, you know, what would you like to review this or, you know, talk about that? And like, they just, they never responded. Like they just literally went away and like did 
their own little APMO thing and without sharing any insights with anyone else. So it was like the weirdest thing to have an organization suddenly call themselves Agile and then not actually interact with anyone else that was they running Agile They were collaborating with the company. Oh, it was fascinating. <laughs> Richard, what about you? Um, so, uh, was your real original question, uh, would I see the PMO belonging? Is it the value of a PMO? Is that the question? I guess where, where I'm trying to go to get a sense of with you guys is like, I feel that the reason the PMO thing is so screwed up is because that we have traditional PMOs not knowing how to support Agile and trying to figure out a way to support Agile by doing the stuff they always did before. And I think that yes. there can be an Agile PMO, but they have to redefine their mission. And it has to be one of how do we support this company through the change into Agile and how do we help them learn new ways to measure and track and look at stuff and stop asking us for utilization reports and, and all that stuff so that people like Davo are less upset with them and they can actually do some good instead of being a yeah. roadblock. Here's Which unfortunately is not what the yes. people giving the talks Richard's are go Richard is going to, or none of them are talking about that. Here's the biggest problem you have with that is for that for that be effective, it's actually going to be a very kind of high, uh, a very kind of uh, intelligent, high functioning group from an agile standpoint. They have their agile experience have to be pretty deep. Where I could see that working potentially is really identifying we as an organization what are the data points that we're going to get the most value from, right? And how do we then have the data points be team driven? Um, that we can kind of represent organizationally. And I think the problem is, though, that many of the PMO um, are used to looking at things through a different lens and putting this lens on, I think, requires a deeper understanding of kind of agile teams working together that most PMOs are going to need some time to really get there. And I don't think they have the expertise yet. I mean, what you're talking about is something where uh, you would have a group of, of, of seasoned Agile coaches get together and define that. So having someone that's tradition, that used to traditional waterfall. It could be a mix of both. It, it, it could be a mix of both, but they would have to then bring them in. Uh, just traditional PMOs without that level of experience expertise are really going to struggle with that. Because what you're talking now about now isn't CSM 101 level type stuff. You're talking about advanced coaching type things. Yeah that requires kind of a much deeper expertise to get right. PMOs aren't going to have that day one. They just don't have the, um, the experience and the, uh, and the uh, kind of perspectives and the background for that yet. So when I do the agility canvas workshops with PMO people, um, I always ask them, who is your customer? And almost always they say executive management because they think they have to report on the portfolio or help them make decisions on that. But they never say the teams or the people that do the work which to me is like the fundamental core of the problem that you guys are describing. They don't see yeah. themselves as serving those people. That's you know, I think that's a valid point, but I think they're, what they're really serving is the, is the um, organizational goals and how the organization really derives value. Um, and I think sometimes even executives lose track of that. Absolutely. The whole organization does, I think, because they don't have a clear yeah. understanding of how to measure value, probably. Yeah. Hey, that conversation just made me a little smarter. <laughs> we, should, we should probably stop them. <laughs> Very good. Like on science. So, do you out. guys have? Do you guys have any? Before we go, do you guys have any advice for people in PMOs? Like this guy today he was like, "What do we do? We don't know how to do this because it's so foreign to us." I mean, what what do you, would you guys say to a PMO that's trying to learn how to cope with Agile so that they can not be an impediment? 
I would say to look for resources and people that have been doing this stuff, that people that have been involved in large transitions or other resources from with, with an agile background, it sounds like some of the people that Richard had encountered were trying to solve it themselves or trying to put together hypotheses on what would work, but it was misaligned. So I would say look for resources or people that are in in the agile space that are doing this, that have experience. Uh, don't try to reinvent the wheel or make it up yourself. Cool. Dawa, what do you got? But maybe listen to Maria and Richard, I would say. Okay. <laughs> Richard, what do you what do you have to say? You know, my my advice is probably very similar. I think uh, there are people out there that have that are pretty well well uh, learned learned um, that uh, that have materials out there. I think I've read some things by Mike Griffith that seemed uh, relatively reasonable. I don't know if I agree with all of it, but it seemed relatively reasonable. I think Lisa Atkins in her earlier days had put some stuff out there. Michelle Slager has some thoughts as well. Well, um, I think if I'm in the if I'm a, a PMO person. I think getting a different understanding of what people have said about, especially those that are very deep in the agile world, have said about it, will kind of arm me with the information that's going to help me kind of understand the the uh, material from a real good authoritative source um, that has a deeper level of understanding, and then uh, take that information, and reconcile that with what I believe to be uh, good and true, and kind of uh, uh, challenge myself to. Uh, fundamentally revisit some of what I think based on what I'm seeing and reading and learning and then reconcile that for myself. Yeah, to me, it's it's a lot about looking beyond the PMI world. I mean, I think it's awesome whenever there's agile talks at PMI stuff, but to me, going to PMI, I mean, I, they're well-intentioned, but I think a lot of the times going to a PMI event to learn about agile is like it's, it's, it's maybe the wrong venue a lot of the time. And I think we have to look beyond just what we're comfortable with and find different sources, like you guys both said, you know, different, different ways to challenge what we, what we think is true. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I chime in now, uh, uh, look for the big picture. I mean, so many times, uh, like I remember one project manager who celebrated on a Friday with an alcohol uh, and I was working on his team and he celebrated because he got three stakeholders to agree on the position of a button. And I, <laughs> wow. no, no, genuinely, that was true. And I, I told myself, I will never celebrate victories like this. But to him, it was like a huge win because he got three people to agree on the position of a button. Uh, so perhaps like, uh, look for bigger wins and maybe expand your horizon into looking for like overall optimization as opposed to local optimizations. Cool. All right, guys, thanks for doing this. And and now that we're at the end, uh, the Blackhawks have just won the Stanley Cup, and the entire city of Chicago is about to explode. So Woo! Okay, there, there you go, Maria. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.